thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I'm so thankful that you have chosen to listen to our podcast today. Welcome to 2018. It's a new year and we're excited about what God is going to do in um, our lives as a family, in our life as a church. And I pray that you also are really thinking about what God would be doing in your life this coming year as you reflect back on 2017 and you look forward to 2018. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you in um, today with this whole idea as you think about beginning 2018. And here's a statement that I want to challenge you with that I think it's a statement that I have um, really embraced. I think it's a, a fundamental biblical principle, especially for your growth in godliness. And so here's the statement. The more you look at Jesus, the more you begin to look like Jesus. So, so let me say that again. The more you look at Jesus, the more you begin to look like Jesus. And so I'm going to unpack that concept, that biblical truth in this episode today. And so I want to take us back to begin with to Moses in Exodus chapter 34. He had come down from Mount Sinai. This is the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments. And so let's just read this very interesting account of what happened to Moses when he came down from the mountain in Exodus 34, 29-35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Very interesting passage of scripture about what happened to Moses. Moses had been in the manifest presence of God and had communed intimately with the Lord on the mountain. And now he comes down and his face is shining because some of God's glory has rubbed off on Moses. And so he exudes being in the presence of God with a shining, bright face. And, and so the people are freaked out. The people are, are scared that Moses is shining. And so Moses puts a veil over his face and he summons all of Israel again to hear the word of the Lord and to receive the law again. Now, now we look at the situation. This was a very specific time in Moses's life where he, he shined, his face shined. This wasn't permanent. This was the Old Testament. This was in the context of the giving of the law. 
This was a temporary reflection of God's glory. It was only given to one man, Moses, the covenant mediator that went between a holy God and the people. And so, in a sense, what happened to Moses was an unrepeatable event in redemptive history. But yet, interestingly, this whole idea of the face shining brightly, this whole idea of a veil, in the New Testament, Paul tells us that this phenomenon is active and it's happening not just to a select person like Moses, but it's true for all Christians, all those who name the name of Christ. And so Paul picks up on this imagery, this narrative account from Exodus in the book of 2 Corinthians. So let's read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. Paul writes this, Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul is arguing from lesser to greater. Basically what he's saying is that um, if the Old Testament, which was temporary, which was carved on stone, which did not have the power to save, to get to the conscience, to cleanse from sin, if just the giving of the law in the Old Covenant had such glory, how much more in the New Covenant does the glory come from the Holy Spirit? And not just to, to Moses, but all believers have this glory that comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so what Paul is saying is that when, when we repent and when we turn to Christ for salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the Spirit of freedom who causes us to be born again. We're made alive in Christ. We are regenerated. We're given a new heart, a new mind. We're new creations in Christ with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And so here's Paul's argument. Here's the kicker of what he's trying to say. He's saying the more we look at Jesus, the more that we focus on the glory of Jesus, the more we dwell in the presence of Jesus, the more we understand the character of God, the more we long for the presence of Christ, the Holy Spirit does something 
miraculously wonderful in our lives. Notice what Paul says there in verse 18. And we all, not not just a few like Moses, but we all, all believers, with an unveiled face, we don't have to put a veil over our face like Moses, we're beholding the glory of the Lord and we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So there's two key words there. We're beholding the glory of the Lord. And as we are doing that, we're being transformed into the image of Christ. So the word for beholding really means to reflect as a mirror does. And so here's the image that Paul is conveying. As you look at Jesus, as you gaze upon his beauty, just like Moses on the mountain, you begin to reflect that glory like a mirror reflects an image. You begin to mirror Christ. In other words, the more you look at Jesus, the more you begin to look like Jesus. You become conformed to his image. The more you behold Christ, the more you behold his glory, the more you begin to reflect that glory, the more you begin to look like Jesus. And so the spirit is the one who's helping us to undergo this transformation. Uh, The Bible here says we are being transformed into the same image of Christ. We're being transformed. Uh, This word transformed or transformation um, is the Greek word metamorpho-o. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. And it's very interesting when you look at the original language, it's very important to understand how the Holy Spirit does this. And so I'm just going to give you a little bit of the original language here to help us understand there. It's in the passive voice. And so when you have something in the passive voice in the Greek language, it means that we are not the ones that are doing the work. We are The work is being done upon us. So it's very important, this metamorphosis, this transformation, this spiritual growth is, is not something that we initiate. It's not something we're actively doing. It's being done to us. We're being worked upon passively by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit initiates it. The Holy Spirit... Um, cultivates it in us. The Holy Spirit is the the power source behind this transformation. But it's also interesting too, those two verbs, beholding, we're beholding the Lord, we're being transformed, they're in the present tense, which is very important because a present tense verb in the Greek language means that this is a continuous, ongoing lifestyle. It's it's not just a a one-time looking at Jesus. We looked at Jesus once, uh, we're reading our Bible once, it's, it's a casual glance, and then it's over with. No, it's this constant, continual, as a lifestyle, always beholding Christ, always looking at Jesus. And it's also, that word for transformation is not just, it's a one-time transformation. This is the process of sanctification. It's a journey It's a growth process. It's something that happens to you moment by moment. It's a daily transformation. So the more you continually, constantly look at Jesus, the more you begin to continually, constantly be transformed to look like Jesus. It's very interesting. This is what God has predestined us as believers to become. This has been God's plan from the very beginning. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we that he might be the firstborn among many brothers god predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son and so it's god's plan from the very beginning for us to be conformed transformed to look like jesus to be like jesus and again the correlation comes the more you look at jesus the more you begin to look like jesus now who's the one that does this work we've been alluding to it all along it's the holy spirit verse 17 now the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom at the end of verse 18 for this comes from the lord who is the spirit so the holy spirit the spirit of freedom the the holy spirit the the counselor the comforter as jesus tells us in john chapter 14 is the one who does this transforming work in our hearts paul says in romans chapter 5 verse 5 that god's love has been poured into our hearts through the holy spirit who has been given to us so the holy spirit's been given to us as a gift he is the one that's been deposited into our hearts who dwells in us and we can experience the wonderful love of god the transforming power of god's grace through the holy spirit ephesians 2 18 through him we have both access in one spirit to the father we have access to the father we have access to jesus that comes through the holy spirit and then second thessalonians 2 13 but we ought always to give thanks to god for you brothers beloved by the lord because god chose you as first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth so the sanctification comes through the holy spirit so we would not know the love of the father we would not know the grace of Christ. We would not have salvation unless the Holy Spirit was given to us. The third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, is crucial in understanding our spiritual growth. He empowers us. He opens our eyes to the truth. He works in us to will and to act according to God's plan. He produces within us new affections and desires. He is the sanctifying Spirit. And so here's the point. The degree to which you understand and dwell upon and think about and read about and study Christ, Jesus, is the degree to which you will look more like Jesus. So the more you look at Jesus, the more you will begin to look like Jesus. And so you have to ask yourself the question as you start 2018, are you closer to Jesus today than you were last year? Maybe a month ago, a week ago. Are you constantly beholding christ and are you being transformed to look like christ now paul goes on and gives a little bit more information about how this happens as you move into second corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 paul writes therefore having this ministry by the mercy of god we do not lose heart but we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. 
And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Christ Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul says we have this ministry. We're going to, to, to preach the gospel. And so he talks about this veil. And he says, the God of this age, that's Satan, the devil. Um, he's, he's put a blinder. He's put a veil over unbelievers. And so lost people, those who are without Christ, have a veil over their eyes. They have blinders on their, over their eyes. And they're prevented from seeing something very specific. In verse 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing something very specific, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So non-believers may have knowledge of who Jesus is. They may know the historical facts of the gospel. They may understand the truth of what Jesus has done. But in their minds and deep in their hearts, they cannot see the glory of Christ. Christ is not captivating to them. Christ is frankly boring to them. It doesn't make sense. The gospel, uh, they may understand the facts of the gospel, but in their heart of hearts, Christ has not gripped them. The truth of the gospel has not become sweet to them. They don't behold the glory of Christ. They can't see the glory of Christ. They're in darkness. They have blinders. They can't see Jesus in all of his glory. So something has to happen to unbelievers. And this has happened to you. If you've become a Christian, this, this was your condition before you were a Christian. You were blinded to the glories of who Christ was. Now, you may have known the facts about Jesus. You may have known the Christmas story. He was born in a manger. You may have known the Easter story. He died on the cross. He rose again. You may have known those historical facts. But in your heart of hearts, you did not embrace Jesus as truly glorious as your all in all, as your Savior, as your Lord. You did not find Him beautiful, delightful, wonderful. You were blinded to that. So something has to happen to open blind eyes. And so what has to happen? Well, in verse 6, Paul tells us that God had to do something. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul harkens back to imagery here that's very similar to creation. You remember the creation story when God said, let there be light, and there was. God spoke the, the universe into existence. There was a dark and formless void over the waters, and God spoke, and, and light came to be. And so Paul is using this imagery of, of the Genesis narrative where God is talking about the physical creation to talk about what needs to happen to us in a spiritual recreation. You see, our hearts are dead. Our hearts are blinded. We have hearts of stone. We are spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses. We, we can't see the glory of God. Uh, we can't understand the things of God. And so God has to shine the light of the gospel in our hearts 
so that we can truly see the glory of Christ, that we can embrace Christ as Savior and Lord, that we can see Him for who He truly is. God has to do the supernatural work of calling us out of darkness into His marvelous light by shining the light of the glory of Christ. So verse 4 tells us the condition of lost people. They're blinded by Satan. They don't see the glory of Christ. They are dead in their sins. Verse 6 tells us what God has to do. God has to shine in their hearts. God has to take the initiative. God has to be the one to do the opening of the eye so that people can see Christ and come to faith in Christ. But sandwiched in between verses 4 and verses 6 is verse 5, which tells us, the human responsibility of how this happens. How does God shine the light of the gospel into a heart of a lost person? Well, Paul says in verse 5, sandwiched in between there, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. What we proclaim is not ourselves. What has to happen is the preaching and the proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord. So God opens blind eyes through the powerful preaching of Jesus Christ as Lord. And notice back up in verse 2, Paul says, we did not practice cunning or tamper with God's word. We didn't mess with God's word. We didn't tamper with God's word. We clearly and openly proclaim the truths of the scripture without watering it down. As a matter of fact, we did not proclaim ourselves. We did not preach ourselves. Now, it's interesting because in today's world, a lot, of th- a lot of times we don't hear this. What often we hear is people preaching themselves. We hear clever stories. We hear emotional heartstring, pulling uh, um, you know, motivational speeches, uh, political rallies, chicken soup for the soul, trite sayings. Uh, a lot of pastors and a lot of ministries focus on preaching themselves. But Paul says, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, the word proclaim or preach is caruso in the Greek language. This is very important. Um, This word comes from the ancient Greek culture. And so there were these heralds or these these, um, spokespeople, these messengers. They were both very important for the political and cultural life of the Roman Empire. And so they were entrusted with a message from a king. And the herald, the Kerouks, had no authority to deviate from the message. He had to deliver it faithfully as the official spokesman for a superior. It, it, they had to, it was demanded they had to deliver their message given to them. They, they had to report it. They, had, they could not change the message. They could not express their own views. They had to expressly, explicitly give a message, a proclamation from the king. And so we think about preaching Christ, heralding Christ. It means that, as A.W. Tozer said, we're not diplomats, but prophets. And our message is not a compromise, but an ultimatum. Ed Clowney says the New Testament noun for preaching implies that the gospel is a royal, a royal proclamation, and the preacher is the king's herald. H.B. Charles offers this insight. He says the herald, the proclaimer, was on assignment to deliver the message of the king. It was not his message. 
and he did not have editorial authority over it. He could not change the message to suit the crowd. Neither can we. The pulpit is not the place for personal testimonies, political speeches, group therapy sessions, motivational talks, self-help advice, worldly philosophies, or scientific theories. The pulpit is the throne of the Word of God. Therefore, the sacred text must be the priority for our preaching. We preach Christ. So, in Him crucified. So, Paul says we preach Christ Jesus as Lord. So, that involves preaching the person of Christ, who He is, preaching the work of Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, preaching Jesus Christ as Lord, the Lordship of Christ, the absolute Lordship of Christ. And so, we are called to proclaim, not ourselves, but Christ. And when we do that, God opens blind eyes. And this is what God called Paul to do. Paul gives account of his conversion, and he gives an interesting statement in the book of Acts. In Acts 26, 16-18, I want you to see the imagery that Paul uses. It's very similar to what he wrote about in 2 Corinthians. In Acts 26, 16-18, um, Paul says, But rise and stand upon your feet, talking about what Jesus told him when he, when, he, when he was converted on the road to Damascus. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things which you have seen and... To me, and those things which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. Okay, what, what's God sending? What's Jesus sending Paul to do? Verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul was charged by Christ to do some very specific things. Paul, I want you to go open blind eyes because people are living in darkness. They're, they have blinders on their eyes from Satan. Uh, Jesus says in John three nineteen through 20, This is the judgment. The lights come into the world. The people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Paul's charged also to turn people from darkness to light. People are in darkness. They need to be turned to light. They need to repent. They need to turn from their wicked ways. Paul is, is charged to turn sinners from the dominion of Satan to the kingdom of God. That we need to be rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his son. So Paul, Jesus says to him, go open blind eyes, go get people out of Satan's clutches, go have people turn from darkness to light. Now you think about that for a moment. That's a tall order for any person, even Paul. I mean, is this even humanly possible? As awesome, awesome as a missionary and preacher Paul was, did Paul have it in his power of persuasion, cleverness, or eloquence to do the supernatural work of opening blind eyes, of taking blinders off people's eyes, of releasing them from darkness, to granting them forgiveness, to, to, to uh, releasing them from Satan? Could Paul do that? And the answer is absolutely not. Only God can shine the light of the glory of gospel into the hearts and minds of lost people. So what's Jesus telling Paul to go do? If Paul can't spiritually do these things, what's Paul supposed to do? Well, he gives commentary in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, 
We don't preach ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus. The human responsibility is that we proclaim Jesus. We preach Christ and Him crucified. We exposit the Scriptures. We tell people about Jesus. You share the gospel with your co-workers and with your friends and with your neighbors. You give verbal proclamation boldly and clearly and lovingly to lost people who are in sin, who are in the clutches of Satan, who have been blinded by Satan, who are dead in their sins. You can't spiritually get them out of that condition. The only thing you can do is to preach the gospel clearly, persuasively, boldly, compassionately. And then what does God do? God uses your faithfulness. God uses your obedience to preaching the gospel, preaching not yourself, not talking about yourself, not drawing attention to yourself, but preaching Jesus Christ as Lord, the Lordship of Christ. And then God does the miraculous work of opening blind eyes. And so when you think about not only yourself, but your lost friends and family and co-workers, every single person on the planet needs to have their eyes opened to the glories of Christ so that the more you look at Jesus, the more you begin to look like Jesus. So I've got two encouragements for you. Number one, as you start 2018, make it a priority to share the gospel with those that are in darkness. Proclaim Christ and Him crucified. But for you personally, as you start 2018, I encourage you to spend time looking at Jesus so that you can look more like Jesus. Now you say, how does this happen? How do I look at Jesus? Do I stare up into heaven? Uh, Do I wait for Him to appear to me? How do you behold Jesus? Well, very simply, you behold, you look at, you study Jesus by reading, studying, and meditating, and memorizing the Bible. You need to spend time saturating yourself in the Bible. And so there's many helpful Bible programs that you can get you can go to Version. You can go online. Um, I've used the Robert Murray McShane reading plan. I've used the Discipleship Journal reading plan. There, there's a lot of different reading plans, but you need to start 2018 with a systematic plan to read your Bible every day so that you can spend time beholding Christ, looking at Jesus, seeing the glories of Christ, asking God to open the eyes of your heart that you may see the glorious Uh, portrayal of Christ on the pages of Scripture. And the more you study Christ, the more you study the gospel, the more you read the Bible, the more you meditate upon the Bible, the more you memorize the Scripture, the more you fill your mind and your heart with the Scriptures, the more you're looking at Jesus in the Bible, the Holy Spirit does this process of making you look more like Jesus. So as we start 2018, Remember this truth and let it be something for you to hold on to for this year. The more you look at Jesus, the more you begin to look like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I think all followers of Christ want to look more and more like their Savior. Well, I appreciate you listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host, Pastor Sean. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I'm an adjunct professor at 
Colorado Christian University. I'm so thankful that you've taken time to listen to the podcast today. I hope that you are having a great 2018. Uh, please share this podcast with others. You can share it on your social media platforms. You can go to seancole.net to get more contact information. You can go to the Understanding Christianity Facebook page. Um, you can also share this um, a positive review on iTunes so that we can um, get the message out. So again, thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you. And in 2018, may you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus so that the more you look at Jesus, the more you begin to look like Jesus.